All right, welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. No, okay. since we podcasted. Chris, how do you feel? I feel like it's been too dang long. Too dang long. Well, you look nice. Thanks. I like your shirt. I've been working out in the... I'm just kidding. Is that the same shirt that you had on last time? I'm sure it is. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is... I always have to admit this on here. I only have like three shirts. There's like five shirts, but they're like three favorites. This is podcast shirt. Yeah, it's my podcast shirt. shirt. Yes. This is my single podcast shirt that I own. So today we have a wonderful guest with us. We have Dr. Melissa Karsten. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, and you, you told me not to call you doctor, so I'll call you um, madam. Much better, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just has a better ring to right, it. Right, yeah, yeah, okay, great. Um, so you are a professor at Winthrop, mm-hmm. and you are in the management and leadership. Tell, tell me. I am an associate professor of management at Winthrop University. Um, I teach primarily in the areas of human resource management and organizational behavior, but my research interests and expertise is around leadership and followership in organizations. So I have to jump in there and say, what was the second word? Followership. Followership. I've never heard of that. Before. Did it make yeah. your blood curdle a, a little, little bit, bit when yeah, I said it? Yes. Bit. Oh, I thought yeah. that was very intriguing, actually. <laughs> the idea that uh, that you're an expert on followership and you, and you get in there and instruct instruct people on how to be followers? <laughs> I don't think that's what it, what it is, is it? No, it? It is a little bit of understanding followers' roles in the leadership process. Okay. And mm. to some extent, yes, I think that there is uh, definitely an avenue we can travel to begin training people how to be good followers. And I know that's such a, a difficult term to wrap your head around because when you say a good follower, people naturally think I need to be passive, I need to be deferent, I need to be blind and silent and obedient, and that's not at all what we're talking about. But the word itself has such a negative connotation that that's where people's minds go when they hear that word. Well, we always deal in hyperboles in our in our culture, and it's like everybody's going to be a leader. What's that whole thing like where all the kids are above average? You know that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, thing? Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Um, God, what's that? Prairie Home Companion? Whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like where all the kids are above average, which doesn't make any sense. Oh, actually. yeah. With something Minnesota? I can't yeah, remember. right, yeah. yeah. No, I definitely have this impression when you say that of like, it's like the, the football coach giving the like inspirational speech. But it's like the opposite. It's like, do you feel like being, you know, taking your own initiative? Stop. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't do that. But, you know, I think we have poor definition. I think that's a, a, a good statement. We have poor definitions of these things, which m- makes us feel like we're all supposed to be a leader. You know, I experienced this when as a, as a person who's, you know, kind of started my own business and you know, second business and all this stuff, uh, I, I tend to be labeled as an entrepreneur frequently and, and a lot of, usually guys, <clears throat> will almost they almost apologize to me that they're not entrepreneurs. I'm like, what? You have mm-hmm. a great funny. job. You know what I mean? I wish I had your job. I mean, not really, but you know. But you know what I'm saying? It's like they, yes. they feel like they're supposed to be more of an independent, strong leader guy. Right. That's, that's funny. Like when your car, something's wrong with your car, and you're you're talking to another guy, and you don't you don't <laughs> want to be like, yeah, this thing's broken, and because you're afraid they'll be like, why don't you just fix it? You're like, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I got to get. Oh, I got to get. I keep. Yeah, I got time. I got to get around. It's the generators yeah. off with the hubcaps. Yeah, so you know. Don't don't well, what, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot in organizational behavior is that it, we spend a lot of time in our 
our careers. And we spend a lot of time preparing for our careers as well. So it's very natural that the career, your career, as well as the su- success you experience in your career begins to define you, yeah. right? You, and you calculate your self-worth based on what you do for a living and how successful you've been. And, and leadership goes hand in hand with those two things, right? Yeah. To what extent do you have the skills and abilities to be a leader? To what extent have you demonstrated leadership behaviors in certain situations? And those things are all held in very high regard. Nobody ever asks you to what extent are you a good follower right, or, yeah. you know, to what extent have you been a follower in different situations? But that's um, what they really want to know. <laughs> well, yeah. we're all, and I mean, the fact of the matter is if you, if you take followership, not not as a positive or a negative thing, just as a neutral thing. We are all followers more than we are leaders. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you spend the majority of your career following other people and, and not necessarily blindly following, but working with superiors to achieve mutually um, important goals. So, and, right. and that's how we're trying to redefine followership, not as someone that can't think for themselves or can't make decisions for themselves or isn't competent on their own, but rather someone who works with individuals in higher positions of authority to accomplish mutually dependent goals. Well, I guess it would be easier to um, get people to, uh, you know, kind of embrace the idea of followership since the idea of leadership is changing. Correct. Because like now everything you see, every, you know, inspirational cat meme you see on LinkedIn mm-hmm. is says something about how great leaders empower others, they get out of the way, they hire people smarter than them. You know, it's very much about decentralization and empowerment of the people that you manage, you know. Well, and our society has changed over the last 50 years, and a lot of the definitions of followership we use were generated 50 years ago. But mm-hmm. today, what we want in organizations is we want people who are empowered to <clears throat> think for themselves, be creative on their own, come up with new ideas or new directions for the business to go in. That's what we want from our employees. And that's what keeps today our companies competitive because we're in such a hyper competitive environment and an environment that changes constantly that if we don't have every employee looking out for new opportunities, new and better ways to do things, more efficient ways of running the business, then we're not going to be competitive. And, and that's a lot of, of what has changed what we expect from leaders. So you're right. We now want leaders to empower others. We yeah. want leaders to develop leadership capabilities in others. We don't want leaders to be depended on anymore, right? right? Mm-hmm. And especially blindly depended on. Um, but if you think about leadership as... It's a process, right? It's a process that involves a leader, a follower working together in a specific situation. We know almost nothing about what the follower brings to that equation. Hmm. So we've, we've, we always focus on the leader. Right, exactly. And then the follower is just seen as being like a cog that's replaceable. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also, I think, an unspoken assumption that we all implicitly know how to follow. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. I think there are some... Every follower, just as every leader does, adopts a different style, yeah. a different way in which they work with people in higher level positions. And some of those followership styles are more effective than others. Yeah. Right. I mean, think about the people that you work with on a daily basis when you're collaborating, generating ideas, trying to solve problems together. Some people are much easier to work with and you get better solutions right. from working with them yeah. than you do with other people. And, um, 
and we can call it followership or we can call it something else. The word itself doesn't matter. It's the process, I think, that's important to study and understand. I travel and speak about the new economy and, um, you know, the, one of the hot button things everyone's talking about is the millennial generation. And I get into it in all kinds of different ways, but in one way that I get into that is when we talk about the decentralization of innovation. And I talk about, like, I show a pyramid and say, okay, this is what, the way organizations used to be organized. And um, I talk about how, you know, Henry Ford, the innovation was with Henry and his buddies. Correct. Everybody else is at the bottom pulling levers and pushing buttons. And then the people in the middle are managing those people. Organiz pyramid grows, and then you cut out a layer of middle management. That's called downsizing, and then you keep growing. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the old model. Then I say, this is what organizations look like now, and I show a molecule. Mm -hmm. And I, it's an it's a organic, natural formation based on kind of, you know, powers like gravity and you know just it, it's based on there's a project at hand there's an objective at hand and so people wrap around it based on the skill sets among them mm -hmm. to solve the objective at hand mm -hmm. and the person who can wrap them around the objective and then facilitate the execution of that objective is the leader mm -hmm. but that might not be the same person that facilitates the achieving of a different objective correct yeah, so it's situational almost. It is absolutely situational, and it's. Uh, I'm going to get all scholarly on you for a second, but it's what we call <laughs> She's the. She's about to drop some scholarly on yeah. you, <laughs> the, the constructionist approach of leadership and, it, and followership. And what that means is that in any given situation, people with the highest level of expertise, most experience, best skills for that particular activity will emerge as the leader, mm. and other people will follow. But that person might emerge later on as a follower in a different situation right. where they don't have the re requisite expertise or knowledge to drive whatever activity is being done next. And we switch roles constantly. Right. Yeah. So I don't know that we ever really think about it that way. Hmm. Um, but as a follower, there are certain things that you do. To be a follower, you have to have some level of deference to the leader, right? Yes. That you're going to believe that the leader knows the right direction to go and can take you there, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that they don't provide input or their own ideas right. or suggestions, but they're <clears throat> deferring and accepting, at least temporarily, that they are in um, a follower position and the leader so how do you put driving in, the activity. How do you put in control mechanisms so that just the loudest, most confident person doesn't always emerge as the leader? Yes, please tell us. <laughs> so those people... <laughs> If you asked the rest of the group who the leader was, the group would probably say in consensus that that person is not the leader. Right, but they that think they're the leader. They think they're the leader. Yeah. But if you ask the rest of the group, who do you trust the most? Who do you think has the best ideas? Right. Who do you think really has the solution to this problem that you're trying to solve? It's usually not the loudest person. Right. It's right. somebody else in the group that has greater influence over what the group does even though they might not be outspoken about it. And so they have to almost mm -hmm. like uh, su subvert the loud person like in, mm -hmm. in a secret coalition yes. <laughs> against the loud person. Yes, because yeah. at some point... So you... that's what's going on over at Rev and <laughs> yeah. Flow. <laughs> yeah. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. Except at right some if point, they the will room. start to tune that loud person <laughs> yeah. out. And although that loud person might be saying a lot of words they might not necessarily be influencing the group's decision-making. You know, that's funny, and I the only expertise I ever bring to this podcast is, well, you know, one time in this movie, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but there's a pattern in, in every Spielberg movie. Whenever there's a conversation that's about 
the theme that's about what the movie is about. There's always somebody being loud. There's always a jerk. And you always know full well, whenever you're watching a Spielberg movie and those conversations start, somebody in that room is going to be quiet, not saying a thing, mm -hmm. and they're going to be the last person to talk. And they're going to sum it all up, and they're going right. to fix everything. That's, Spielberg always does that. Interesting. Yeah, it's like uh, Tom Hanks and Saving Private Ryan. Like yeah, it's yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Alan. stoic Gritton. moment. Yeah, it's at the end yeah. when, when everybody is insane and it's just lost and nobody knows what to do. And it's the quiet person that – sometimes the other people leave the room. And it's right. only that quiet person and one more person, and they say the thing that matters the most. That's interesting. So, so I hear, when I hear follower, leader, follower, leader, and we talk about how our, our society kind of you know, tells everybody to be a leader, at least in our commercials and stuff, there's another layer to this in my mind, and it has to do with l much deeper and longer cultural things. For example, religion. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Christianity is very much about followership mm -hmm. and the the kind of best man among us is the greatest submissive follower mm -hmm. um yet as a as i know at least as a male growing up in murka you, you also have the greek tradition that i've also got to be a badass so <laughs> like i have to be I'm supposed to turn the other cheek, and I'm supposed to beat the crap out of the bully right. oh, yeah. to stop him John from. Wayne, yeah, yeah, I got to be John Wayne and and Jesus. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. how do you do that? How do you be both? You know, John Jesus, John Jesus. <laughs> there you go, Jesus Wayne, Jesus, Jesus Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> the dude, I could go on. Neither of us have a great read. Yeah, yeah right. Right. Jesus Wayne is a little. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. But so, please, if you no, respond. No, I, I mean, I. I know that, especially um, in a in a religious environment, followership takes on a very different type of meaning than it would in an organizational environment, right? And you could maybe say the same about leadership in an organizational environment as opposed to a religious environment, right? right? And what do you expect from your religious leaders that's very different from what you expect from your organizational leaders, right? Um, and so I think that, that there is, there's a contextual influence on how we think about that word, but you're right. It's, I think that, that the religious connotation of it has added to our definition of followers kind of being blind and submissive. Right, yeah. Um, the flock. The flock, right? I mean, yeah. that, is a, that is seen as a great thing inside the, inside the walls of the church, and it's seen as a radical negative everywhere else in our... Correct. I mean, it's like calling someone a sheep is like one of the greatest insults you can yeah. call somebody. And, and I would I keep saying this, and I don't mean this to sound like it's sexist or something, but I would say especially to a guy, just because guys are brought up with this idea that they're supposed to be like singularly outwardly important in the public sphere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I know that's changing, but traditionally. I think one of the major differences, too, in a, in a religious context, you are following one leader, Right. Yeah. For the most part, you're following whichever uh, divinity uh, your religion right. worships and praises, right? There's a so, main dude. Exactly. But there is only, there's really only one. Right. In some cases, maybe two, but really only one. So that is very different from normal life. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Where you're dealing with, on a daily basis, multiple people in different kinds of leadership positions doing different kinds of things, trying to influence you in different yeah, kinds of point. ways. And so, um, so I think that, that that probably plays into it too, the way 
that we look at leadership and followership in our normal daily lives is very different because that those definitions are so convoluted and there are so many influences on how we think about those things as opposed to in a religious environment where you are you have one single entity yeah right that you are praising and that you're and, following and everyone is a follower yeah. of that one single entity so yeah. very different kind of definition that's interesting but it's interesting you were saying how the idea of a, a leader who's there's this one time when they are obviously the expert and they lead, mm-hmm. but there may come another time when they don't. And that, because to me, and the only time following and leading ever made sense to me was when it clicked for me. If I'm a follower or where worker be, whatever, mm-hmm. it's it's because of a task, and that's my role in this task. Mm-hmm. And, and so, therefore, it's important that I always regard what I'm doing as if I were the person that's leading, what would I need me to do? Mm-hmm. And because someday I'll be that person. Right. And not like someday, like one of these days I'll get up there. Right. I mean, like, we're all people and there's goals, right. you know? Cause, and that's why I think a lot of, it's like there's a difference between being a leader um, in a functional way and the sort of egotistical celebrity concept of right. leadership. Do you know what I mean? Completely, yes. And I think... Uh, a lot of it is task specific as well, like you said. Um, but what we're, what we really are interested in studying is even within those tasks where, for example, if you take on a follower role, because that's your role in Mm -hmm. this project and someone else is clearly leading it, there is no prescribed way of you behaving in that follower role. And what if, for example, you noticed your leader in that project, making a disastrous decision that could have very negative effects on the project or the organization or whatever it is you're working on. Do you as a follower sit back and remain silent and keep that information to yourself and choose not to share it? Or do you find a way to share that information in a way that will produce more positive results? Right. Or be like, I bet I can fix this. Exactly. (laughs) Right. But so that brings in a lot of of challenges as well, because then as a follower, that's not necessarily your role. And at what point are you stepping over a boundary into someone else's role? And, but that's the kind of followership I would argue anyway, that many organizations need today. Well, we actually supply all uh, staff with blow darts. (laughs) Do you? So if anyone's out of line, man, just drop them. Tranquilizer darts. Yeah, Yeah. tranquilizer darts. Exactly. So that works. I used mine wrong. I went the wrong direction. You inhaled it. Yeah. yeah that's well, Chris right. has been in the emergency room like four times. This has really been a disaster. So if you're passed out yeah. under your desk, we yeah. know why. Right. With a mouthful of darts. Every project that happens. Tranquilizer darts. Yeah. Because I'm very angry throughout. Yeah. At some point, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get him. He sucks in before he blows. Just yeah. Dab yourself in the neck. <laughs> um, so, you know, one thing we've done at Revenflow is, and, you know, we're, we're, we're making this up as we go. We're doing our best. But, um, We've created roles that are uh, leadership roles that are departmental leadership roles. So that's more of a, it has a state of permanence as it's awarded like a, like it's part of your title and part mm-hmm. of your role. Yep. But it's about being um, a leader in kind of the facilitation of that department as far as it being uh, a, a team that works together. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, being a captain of the squad, mm-hmm. you know, that you'd go out to, to uh, half court and, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> but uh, then we have any particular project that's being worked on or task that's being worked on. There's a lead within the department mm-hmm. on that 
task. So um, if there's a particular, you know, movie that we're creating or if there's a website that's being developed, there's a person that has the skill set to do that work mm-hmm. that is, that's their project that yeah. they're working on. And so at that point, the departmental director's job is not to, you know, uh, stand over the shoulder of the person executing the task because they're probably doing it because they're the best one at it. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, it's like facilitating, mm-hmm. serving that person, helping that person with whatever they need. And that person's the leader of that little project. Mm-hmm. And then the other person's the leader of kind of that the department always kind of functions as a group. Mm-hmm. So do you see larger organizations looking for opportunities to do, you know, where you have what we've been talking about, situational leadership, and then you also have kind of a, a permanence in leadership in other ways, and then figuring out how to balance those things. Right. And I think one of the things you're probably talking about, too, is the difference between management and leadership, right? And to some extent, organizations need managers. Right. They need people who can coordinate the work, organize the work, right? Be held accountable for control mechanisms to make sure that they're using resources effectively. Somebody needs to be in that position. Right. Are managers always leaders? And that's the question that we come back to. And some of them are, and some of them aren't. Um, Some of them are just simply managers. They don't want to be the ones at the forefront of identifying which direction we're going to go in and inspiring people to get motivated and excited about what they're doing and keeping people engaged and a lot of the other things that we associate with more of a leadership. Yeah. I think we do a disservice to managers the same way we do to followers. I think we, again, LinkedIn is feeding this problem, but it's like everything's about don't be a manager, be a leader. And I'm thinking, well, dang, we need managers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, let's quit demonizing people who are actually responsible to the details get taken care of. No, we absolutely need managers. And organizations that have tried to go from more hierarchical structures to flat structures without a lot of management see how challenging that transition is. Absolutely. Because you need you need people that are held accountable and you need certain key people that are going to be transferring information from the lowest levels to the highest levels and vice versa. Absolutely. And without those roles, the organization kind of gets lost Mm -hmm. a little bit. So we absolutely need those people. Those people are not necessarily always the ones identified as leaders in the organization. What I mean by that is they're not always the ones that have the most influence on employees' engagement and commitment and right. feeling that they're really connected to the mission of the organization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we deal with that a lot. Uh, we're trying to empower leaders in our organization, but we're a bunch of creative folks. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it's none of us are just natural managers. You know, none of us are like, I would choose to organize all of the details for someone else. That's probably why you're successful at being creative, though, because those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. If you're a manager, your primary focus is on efficiency. Yeah. Right? And creativity is the antithesis of Of efficiency. efficiency. Yeah, yeah. And so being a creative organization is actually quite a challenge because you have to be profitable and you can't be profitable if you're the antithesis of efficiency. (laughs) And so you have to be a business. And so we've had to put in, we've had to be very deliberate about putting in mechanisms of management, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's tough. It is because you don't want to stifle creativity of the people around you. And at the same time, you still have to be accountable to your financials and, mm-hmm. you know, 
any shareholders or stakeholders that you have. So that that is a difficult combination to kind of bridge. Absolutely. And yeah, well, I, I'm I'm speaking preaching to the choir here. You know no, this, well, but, yeah, right? I hear you. Yeah. Um, well, let's. Um, did you make that reference on purpose because of the religious conversation? <laughs> yeah. I did not. Oh, no, but crafty. that takes us full circle, that doesn't crafty. it? Yeah. yeah, way to circle back there. Well done. Well played. Yeah, I'm not going, intentional at all. Well, I'm going to go off script here. I know you're reading from something there, and I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and let's, let's learn a little bit about you. Okay. So you're from California. I am. And what part of California? I'm originally from Fresno, California, which is right in the middle of the state. If you were to cut that long state into four quarters, <laughs> we're right in the center. So it's Central Valley, it's desert area. We're about an hour away from Yosemite. That's okay. That's our claim to fame. The little guy with the big red mustache and the hat and the gun. <laughs> yeah, right. Sam. <laughs> yes, we're about an hour away from him. Okay, yeah. good. Where he hangs out. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, cool. Do you ever go to Lake Tahoe? Uh, all the time. Yes. Really? I actually, growing up, had several friends who had vacation homes in Lake Tahoe, so we would go up there very regularly. Love Lake Tahoe. That's cool. One of the most amazing places on earth. I think that every season holds something different yeah. to do and to experience, and it's just a beautiful place. My wife and I were out there uh, relatively recently. I spoke out there and uh, okay. we decided to turn that one into a little vacation. So it was very cool. Smart idea. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah it beautiful. is. Um, so Fresno. Now, Chris, you were out in California. You didn't go to a couple weeks no, ago. No, we went. No, like how far is Fresno from the coast? Uh, it's about three hours from the central coast. Oh, central okay. coast would be areas like... Um, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo. Yeah, yeah. We went, yeah. I drove from LA to San Francisco on the PCH. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've done that before too. It's so it is gorgeous, and and actually sometimes a bit scary. I bet because it is. Yeah. There are hairpin turns on a cliff where one side is a drop down to the ocean. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's a little frightening, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's amazing. That's Very what they, cool. I keep telling people. Like it's so everything is so beautiful. Like when you make that kind of drive, where it's just like you eventually. Stop. I mean, you, you can't help it. You see, you, every time you turn around a corner, you're like, oh, my yeah. gosh. But you, you do it so it much, you're just like, I got to shut up. I can't <laughs> yeah. doing this. But you still, you can't. <gasps> yes. <laughs> so um, did you have to unlearn the Valley Girl kind of accent? Or oh, like, I don't have it? Oh, you can't. Well, maybe. You well, maybe there I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, you just kicked it in a little bit. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I see. I see it. I see now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there it is, yeah. I, it comes back to me when I'm in California oh, really? for a long period of time, yeah. Um, but no, I I don't know that I ever really had it. I don't really, really even know what it sounds like. But, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, nev- I definitely don't have a Southern accent, so I know right. that, yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. And um, did you go, did you spend a lot of time traveling in California? Like, did you ever go north, San Francisco, up there? I did, yeah. I've lived almost everywhere in, in California. So I was born and raised in Fresno. I did my undergraduate at UC Santa Barbara which was a beautiful place to now, live. Santa Barbara's where in California? Santa Barbara's kind of south. It's north of LA, about an hour on the coast. Okay, okay. But it is still considered Southern California. And then lived in San Francisco for a short period of time. Whoa. Lived in Santa Rosa, which is wine country. Nice. Near Napa for a short period of time. Uh, lived in Los Angeles and Pasadena. That's where I did my doctorate. So I, I, I've, got, I've been very fortunate to live all up and down the coast of, of California. And yet awesome. you live in Rock Hill. No, I, I actually live in Fort Mill. In Fort Mill. Yes, okay. yeah. So I work, I work in Rock Hill, spend every day in here in Rock Hill. So, so why? Uh, you know, I've, I've been asked that question before. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in academia, 
in my kind of a of a position. Is that near Estonia? Yeah. <laughs> what? Academia. Academia. Yeah. It is, is that over? Is that in Europe? Not too close. Okay. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. No, but when you, I mean, when you're a professor, you don't get a you don't get a lot of say in where you end up, right? Okay, so right. there are very few jobs that are open every year, and you apply to those jobs that you think you fit best with. Gotcha. But um, that's why most professors, if they end up leaving the university they're at currently, also end up vacating the state. Yeah. Because the chances of there being another position in the state that you're in are very rare. So does that affect like retirement and everything? Is it it does a little connected? bit, but we are, we're all on the equivalent of what a 401k would be. It's called okay, a 403b. Gotcha. So it rolls over. Um, but yes, but... It, then there's a lot of professors that go in and then end up spending their whole career with one university, which yeah. is probably what I will do too, because okay. I've fallen in love with oh, really? this area. That's yes, awesome. oh, I love it. I we're never leaving. That's wow. great to yeah, hear. We're, yeah, we love it here. There's so much to do, and I, I think for a lot of professors, when they end up going to work for a big university, they end up in a very small town, right, yeah. where the where the whole town is kind of centered around the university, um, and Winthrop's not necessarily the same because it is a smaller university. It's right. not the big research university like a university of southern carolina south carolina is or you know other places but um but there's so much to do here and we have fallen in love with the community we love rock hill we love fort mill and the fact that we're so close to charlotte and there's so much to do there god that's so great to hear yeah it's amazing you know it's funny we grew up in this place but we grew up believing that this is the lamest place on the planet. Really? There was nothing I to think do. everybody feels well, like that yeah, when they grow up, wherever they grow, they grow up, up yeah. right? That's but kind it, of the adolescent experience. True, but also at the time. It's it was like, true. Yeah, right? It was a little bit true. <laughs> it was yeah. a, little, it was, a lot. Things a really lot changed. has changed. I mean, that was yeah. a long time ago. Chris and I yeah. were like 80 years old, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you look it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. we're our 70, yeah. what are you, 72? Yeah, 72. I saw you park your cane at the door. Yeah, Gave it away. Yeah, I can whistle, it'll come. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's like your clapper, yeah, yeah the clapper, the clapper yeah. cane, yeah, the, clapper. the clapper cane. We the just invented something. Oh my god! Yeah, with the, with we're the gonna all be millionaires. Wheels and it drives over. That's to you. a great idea. That is a great idea. But it doesn't wow. work really well, so it usually just runs and knocks <laughs> you all over. Right you. But you're really old too. It doesn't old people matter. are fine. You can take it. Yeah, resilient. Um, yeah, so when we were growing up, it was a lot different. A lot has changed over the past 15 years in this area, like a whole bunch. I mean, for example. Downtown Charlotte, uptown Charlotte, there was nothing there at all. Really? Nothing at all. It was all just businesses. The whole place shut down at 5 o'clock. Um, you know, there was no... Wow. The outlying cool areas like, um, you know, Noda and uh, mm-hmm. South End and all, none of those existed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so none of that was there. And there was nothing in Rock Hill. There was actually a roof on downtown Rock Hill. It was an indoor mall. They put a roof on it. Oh, my gosh. Put down tiles and it was an indoor mall. But the thing is, after they took that roof off, as much as people didn't like it, then there was even less in Rock Hill. I know, yeah, exactly. So there was even less stuff. But it's funny, if you talk about Charlotte, a lot of people don't understand my, like, affinity for mega commercial, like, property. Like, a lot of people, you're supposed to, like, not be happy with the sort of, like, the power center, like, just theaters and big shopping centers and stuff. But, like, where I grew up in Rock Hill, where there wasn't really anything at all, yeah. and in, like, South Charlotte, that stuff existed. Yeah. So I grew up with that being the great big Like, you Shangri-La. went to one of these places, and everything was there. Exactly. It was a giant yeah. mall, and it had right. everything. And yeah. so as an adult, when you put me in that, like, ridiculous kind of whatever commercial or touristy area, I'm in heaven. And you put on your clown suit. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm, do that. So, Not a good call me, right now. Living in <laughs> no, LA, I try to yeah. avoid that as much as possible, really? because in LA, that's all there is, are those yeah. 
giant yeah, right. like mall areas where five million people congregate at any given time. Yeah. So I try to stay away from that. So yeah, the- well, I think most people do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you say it's it's an it's an it's an a product of growing up in sort of like what mm-hmm. at the time we were, it was just farm country here. I mean yeah. my family are all farm people and railroad people and and we we lived out there towards York and it was just farm and there just wasn't anything. And so when we would go to Pineville or whatever, it was like that to me was life. You know, and it's funny. And I had no one stops you when you're like 12 and, and it's like, you know, hey, man, this is really bougie, dumb stuff, dude. Yeah, right. Don't get into this. Yeah. You don't know. You just think it's amazing. Cause it's, it's some, but if you think about it, downtowns, revitalizing downtowns pretty much offer the same thing that you were getting from that. True. Right. Absolutely. You go into a cultural vibrancy because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of action going on versus, you know, you come from where you're just, there's nothing going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think it's switched to being, um, what hopefully will be a is a more diverse, more inclusive, more vibrant mm-hmm. with the downtown revival. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. those kinds of developments get more and more where they're trying to mimic a more authentic experience anyway. Yeah, so that that's exactly. that's obviously where it's at. You know? And I think that's very appealing for, for a lot of people because there there is so to speak, the, the city center where people can congregate and do stuff. And then you go home to an area that's not so densely populated that you feel right. like your neighbors are right on top of you. And that's, to me, why I love it here so much. I feel yeah. like there's so much to do and that each regional area has a vibrant city life. Like we went to Food Truck Fridays yeah. throughout, in Rock Hill throughout the summer because it was so much fun. It's awesome. But then you then you go home and you have your own kind of space and your peace right, and quiet, exactly. which we did, you do not have in many places in California because it is so densely populated that right, you're living yeah, right on top point, of people. Yeah. There's no green area. There's no um, kind of space to breathe. But everybody's famous and rich. Mm-hmm. I wish that was true. <laughs> yeah. Our, yeah, my Uber driver. I, got, yes. I had an Uber driver that, that convinced me he had pitched every successful movie in the past 20 oh, years. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. And he was an Uber driver. Yeah, yeah. now he's just, an Uber you know, driver. for fun. Yeah. For you never fun. know who you're Yeah, because he right? didn't care. He was just throwing his ideas out uh-huh. every time he met a famous person. And, and low, they, they would make Titanic. Okay. Yeah. 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 Which probably happened. Yeah. But, um, it probably happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, it's great to hear your positive attitude about this place because we've not only seen it transform, but we've, you know, done our part to try to work to help it transform. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, I, I tell, I do a lot of work with folks um, in economic development and um, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't say I'm a young entrepreneur anymore because I'm 40, but most of them are considerably older than me. And I always tell them like, guys, y'all are still clinging to this idea that this place is not cool. Even though you're working hard to make it cool, like you need to back up for a second because the young people coming here think it's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But, they, but they're latched onto that idea because yes. they grew up with it. We all did, yes. you know. And I've even specifically <clears throat> seen younger people who grew up here who don't feel that way, honestly. Right. Like yeah. that's, that's something I'm starting to see. It's like younger people who grew up here, have, they don't feel that way. They don't necessarily think... They see that. Like, I think that's hard to, that's like a cancer, you know, that, that right. idea that this place is lame. Mm-hmm. That, that lingers yeah. no matter what you do. But I've seen in a lot of younger people who grew up here, they hear that, but they don't, they're not necessarily bought into that idea. There's more of an affinity for just this place and, yeah. and their experiences here. So, that's what I've noticed. You have, you have to stay away from the idea of community low self-esteem, yeah. right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And that happens in a lot of places where people are growing up in a certain city that 
was this way back then yeah. and mm-hmm. may not be this way now, but they've held on to that. Well, there's nothing to do here and yeah, exactly. it's not fun and there's nothing that attracts people here when that may have changed, but it's hard to let go of that mentality. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and you a- have to let go of it because the people coming in are saying, this place is great. There's so yeah. much to do. And you don't want to teach them that exactly. it's not. Exactly. You don't want to convince yeah. them otherwise. Yeah, right. That's exactly. Such, that's such an easy thing to take on. You yeah. know, it's like that thing, it's like the way that we always feel like we can berate ourselves or we can be insecure and, and make fun of ourselves. That's always safe. In little we know, that's not safe. That's right, You're yeah. inevitably going to hurt someone else's feelings. That's, you know, one of, it's a very easy sort of thing to get into. Or right? change yeah. the mind of people that came in thinking this place was really exactly. great. Yeah, and yeah, and right. I'm talking to somebody here who's lived here for 10 years and they hate it. So yeah, I must yeah. not exactly. be right, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. So do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother. Where is he? He's in Visalia. California, which uh-huh. is uh, in between Fresno and Bakersfield. I don't know nice. if you've heard of Bakersfield. I know oh, are Bakersfield. you serious? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah we're, absolutely. We're from yes. the South, and yeah. we know we've heard of Bakersfield. You've heard of Bakersfield. It's yeah. the other Nashville for us. Yeah. So yeah. he's a police officer there in Visalia. Okay. Nice. Visalia. Yeah. You like the onions? No. Is that an onion? <laughs> no. I didn't know it's that. Not. It's close. Visalia. Yeah. I, I still, yeah, Visalia to me, I, I mean, it was always a kind of a city that was nearby Fresno, but it, that's the only time I, I just don't know that word. It does, it's not tied to anything for yeah. me. So even today, I'm like, how do you spell Visalia? Yeah, right. right? Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. It's just not tied to anything. So. Very cool. So um, and you're, you said you have two children, right? I do. I have a three-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yes, they keep me busy. I'm sure. Are they they're in the Fort Mill school district? Uh, yeah, my daughter is in first grade at Gold Hill Elementary, and my son is actually at preschool at the McFeet Laboratory School oh, at Winthrop. You know, I went to McFeet. Did was, you really? Yeah. Yeah, I love McFeet. Uh, I, have a I have first kiss there, by the way. Did you really? Yeah. Probably yeah. under the swings or under the slide. Yeah, or something I mean, it like was that, terrifying right? and awful for me. I wasn't complicit in the act. <laughs> wow, but, uh, you had your first kiss. At so it was against your will. Yeah, it was against my will. Yeah, Molly, she kissed me Molly. against my will. Yeah. Molly, McFeet. very aggressive. That Molly. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she had. Um, what was it? The big buns. She had buns. <laughs> she had big buns. Like Princess Leia buns. Like Princess Leia buns, man. Come on, dude. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't forget that you said she had big buns. If you, buns. If you want me to, well, I cannot. I can't lie. <laughs> you <laughs> other brothers and, can't deny. Additionally, yeah, exactly. you can't yeah, deny. Um, Come on, man. But anyway. Oh, that's anywho, bad. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't help you to try. Uh, well, I, I'm hoping my son doesn't have the same experience. Well, but, she's uh, probably not there anymore. That was, that was three a long and, time Oh, yeah, that was I a long time I think she stopped hanging around there doing that a few years well, ago. Well, I will tell you, three- and four-year-old girls are still just as aggressive. Oh, so man, you never you. know, right? Yeah. There was also this girl in kindergarten that convinced these two boys to chase me down, hold me down so she could kiss me all over the face. Oh, wow. no. I have a history of this. Man, it's <laughs> really just let it all out. I'm so sorry, they, guys. Does, that, does this still happen to you? <laughs> no, it doesn't actually. Okay, good, it's, yeah. it's been you know at least 38 years. Okay, yeah. <laughs> at some point that wore off. Yeah, that wore off right Stop after. Stop crying. Yeah, yeah. Right. a yeah. couple weeks ago. So, um, so you it, went to McFeet. I went to McFeet. Yes. I yes. Did. Wait, is it McFeet? It's called McFeet. McFeet. Yeah. Okay, I had never heard of this. Right. It's the McFeet Laboratory School, and it's part of the College of Education at Winthrop huh. University, and they have a pre, they have preschool classes for three and four year olds, and then they have a kindergarten class. It's an amazing oh, okay. place. Yes. Yeah. My, both of my kids, my uh, six year old went there for two years, and my son's there now. And 
I have nothing but amazing things to say about it. It's That's wonderful. Right. So mm-hmm. you can, um, I mean, they're right there near you. So I drop yeah. them off every morning when I come to work, and I pick them up every day when I go home. Oh, it's, that's It's wonderful. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yes. fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. So are you in the, um, would you be in the School of Business? College of Business. College of mm-hmm. Business, okay. Yep. So uh, Dr. Weichel? Yeah, he's our dean. dean. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Soon Very to be cool. retiring. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. great. We um, have done some projects with Dr. Weichel. We did a project called The Hive. I don't know if you ever heard anything about it. but it I was, have heard of The Hive, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. We, and uh, that was with his department. And, okay. Uh, then with the DIFD program. Yes, information. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was very cool. Yeah. Um, do you know, um, uh, God, Chris, you'll have to edit this out. Bill. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember her name. Who did we podcast Rick. with? Laura Ulrich. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. She's our associate dean. Okay, she's yeah, awesome. she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah, she's really great. She's... Uh, what we all aspire to be, I feel like. She's mm-hmm. super highly productive, a great mom, very family-oriented, so involved in her community, and she's just all-around great person. I hope we get she, to keep her forever. Yeah, yeah, she really seeks out interesting life experiences, too, yes. and they go all over the place. She does, yes. So she yeah. was just in Bolivia two mm-hmm. weeks ago working with the government there and entrepreneurs there to try to um, help them establish their businesses and yeah, yeah, doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you invited me. This was so much fun. Yeah. And is there anything that you would like to share that the world needs to hear about leadership and followership that we didn't cover? You know, I, I think we probably covered this, but I would just encourage us to begin thinking differently about what this is. And, and even I am so welcome to people giving me ideas for a better word to use than than follower, whether it's constituent or partners or collaborators or whatever it is. Um, but, but if we think about the process of what that involves, I think it's an important process and one we need to maybe pay a little bit more attention to. Have you seen the YouTube video? Um, the first follower I have not. Oh my gosh, you got to look that up. I will look it up. And all of our, all, both of our listeners also need to look it up too. Both of them. Yes. Yeah, they okay. should watch. They're it. looking it up now. <clears throat> they are. Yeah. Have okay. you seen the YouTube video? Man tries to do karate flip herself. <laughs> <laughs> really no. meaningful. Yeah, I, I'll look at that one too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I can use both in my research. I'm sure. Yeah. The first follower is cool. You should check it out. I, I will oh, well. uh, refrain from trying to describe it here unless you just watch it <laughs> yes, yourself. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Thank you. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, I guess we'll see all of you guys. Chris, of course, thank you. Thank you. Um, I would be remiss not to let us have a final word from uh, Silent Micah. Well played, sir. Well played. And um, I guess we'll say <laughs> see you next week on Old Town New World.